Hey, good morning, everyone. So great to be with you today. My name is Paul. I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis. Uh, If you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to take it and turn to the book of Acts, uh, in the New Testament book of Acts. My wife's uh, Jenny, her sweet grandma passed away just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, she was 97 years old, just a few months shy of 98. She was sharp. She was kind. She was very thoughtful. And just some fun facts about her, uh, Jenny's grandma had 12 children uh, who gave her 58 grandchildren who gave her and my children, my three kids make up three of 141 great-grandchildren. Can you even imagine? I mean, just a huge family. Like whenever we'd go to her house for Thanksgiving or Christmas, I mean, it was an all-day, the the front door was a revolving door. And we would sit there and I would say to Jenny, she lives, her her grandma lives in Ohio and much of her family's there, but somebody'd walk in, I'd say, who's that? And Jenny would go, I have have no idea. I have no idea who that is. So she she didn't know all of her, her, uh, her cousins. Uh, so it's pretty crazy. But grandma had a lot to be thankful for, certainly. And uh, a little over a week ago, a whole crowd of people gathered in Glendorf, Ohio, uh, to celebrate her life, to tell stories, to share some memories. And uh, as Jerry talked about last week, our campus pastor here, um, unless Jesus returns first, like every one of us is going to die. Like we all have a, a start date. We all have an, an end date, you know? I mean, we have an ordained number of days here on this earth. And like it or not, there are going to be things that you're remembered for. I mean, some are going to be remembered for their accomplishments. Uh, you, you've got people in your life, maybe you'll be remembered for your career and you know what's your company or what you were able to contribute through your career. Some, some people are going to be remembered for their generosity. People are going to be remembered uh, for their compassion. And some are going to be remembered for their words and sometimes their last words. And as you probably know, some famous people have had some last words uh, that have left a real impact on the world. Like you may know for a, for a example, for instance, uh, that the world-famous futurist Nostradamus' last words were, tomorrow at sunrise, I shall no longer be here. And he was right. He, he actually died that evening. You didn't see the next day. Or uh, Leonardo da Vinci, uh, another example. He was pretty modest on his deathbed. His last words were, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. And this was from the man who painted such masterpieces as The Last Supper and The Mona Lisa. And, uh, and then this one, the, the second U.S. president, John Adams, died on July 4th, 1826, exactly 50 years after signing the Declaration of Independence. Uh, but he had this lifelong rivalry with Thomas Jefferson. And before he died, Adams is alleged to have said, alas, Thomas Jefferson survives. And little did he realize that Thomas Jefferson had actually died a little earlier that day, just a few hours uh, before. But, but I think no final words ha- have changed the world uh, quite like the words of Jesus. And we find them in Acts chapter one. And in case you're new with us for the past month, we've been looking through the gospels. Uh, and we talk about gospel. The word gospel means good news. It's the good news of Jesus. These are the books in our New Testament of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. And uh, they share different events, but maybe similar events and, and many of the same teachings of Jesus. We've talked a little bit about their differences and, and why they're different. Um, 
but, but all four record the end of Jesus' life and some of those events much the same way, that Jesus was arrested, he was tried, he was crucified, that he was, he was buried in a tomb, it was guarded by Roman soldiers, and then on Sunday, some of his followers, they go to the tomb and they discover that his body's no longer there, and, and they slowly begin to realize what had happened, that the death and resurrection that Jesus had predicted while he was alive wasn't just some made-up story, but that it actually happened. And so the gospels give way chronologically to the book of Acts. And what we see as we start the book of Acts is that the resurrection of Jesus sparked a change in the disciples and the way they lived. Uh, in fact, we see this most clearly in Acts chapter four uh, with Peter. And you might remember Peter. This is Peter who denied Jesus three times. Well, by Acts chapter four, Peter is standing in front of a large crowd of people, including many of the religious leaders who killed Jesus. And Peter's telling them there's only one way to be saved. Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. And the rulers and the elders who were present on this occasion, they come to this conclusion in Acts chapter 4 verse 13. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, another disciple, and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And we're going to talk about the significance of this event in just a moment. But before we do, I want to spend just a few minutes looking at the final words of Jesus with you. And real quick, if you are new today, uh, if you're new to Genesis, new to church, new to this conversation about Jesus, you might be wondering to yourself, how is it that we know so much about Jesus? Like, how is it that an individual who lived 2,000 years ago in this teeny tiny country, that there's so much intrigue, so much conversation about him even today? Well, I think part of the reason why is that we can give credit to the eyewitnesses, to the men and women and students and kids who saw these events unfold with their own eyes. And Luke, who's the historian behind the writing of the book of Acts, uh, and also the gospel that we know is the book of Luke, well, he interviewed these eyewitnesses in hopes of capturing an orderly account of what happened during Jesus' days here on the earth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so the people who provided these stories, who provided these accounts, they didn't just hear them. They weren't just stories that were passed down to them, but they actually experienced these things. They, they, they knew Jesus. They saw Jesus walking around live. They saw him when he died. They saw him after he rose from the dead. It influenced the way they lived, right? I mean, you experience somebody, something like that and watch somebody come back from the dead. It's going to change you a little bit. Well, the book of Acts that we're reading right now is basically Luke part two. And so if Luke is a chronological look at the life of Jesus up to his death and resurrection and ultimately his ascension, the book of Acts picks up there. It's basically Luke part two, and it begins with the resurrected Jesus' final words to his disciples before he ascends into heaven and then continues on with these Christians going out and the early church coming together and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So again, Luke is the writer of Acts. He's a historian. He's a physician actually by training, but he's working as a historian here. And he wrote this work for a friend, a guy by the name of Theophilus, who likely financed the entire project, which wasn't uncommon in the ancient world. And here's how Luke begins the book of Acts. Acts chapter one, beginning in verse one. Luke writes, in my former book, Theophilus, again, this is the gentleman behind the financing of the project. He says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. All right, in this gospel, this gospel of Luke, we talked about Jesus and, and his, uh, everything and, until he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. 
He writes, after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. It's almost like you can hear Luke, this physician, saying to his friend Theophilus, look, I've been doing this work. I know this sounds crazy. And I don't, I, you know, I know that you might not be able to believe it either, but I've talked to these people. They saw him. They witnessed the resurrection Jesus with his own eyes where he proved that he is alive. And then Luke goes on to capture these last words of Jesus. Jesus' final words in Acts chapter one, verse eight, when Jesus said this to his disciples from the Mount of Olives overlooking the city of Jerusalem. Jesus said, but you are gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, Jesus is the only person I know, maybe the only person in all of history to give his last words after he died, you know? Because for most people, your last words come before you die, but Jesus died and he resurrected and he appeared to the disciples and on several occasions, he shared with them and then he gave these final words. Let's look at them again. Jesus said to them, but you will receive power. It's the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite from. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. See, up to this point in history, the Holy Spirit only came on people's lives for certain times and in certain seasons. But Jesus is saying, hey, in Acts chapter two, which if you read it this past week, you know the story, the Holy Spirit is gonna come upon all believers, that God himself is gonna be in you and with you at all times, and it's going to be like power, and you're going to be my witnesses. What's a witness do? A witness shares what he saw or what she experienced. They're going to tell the story of the events as they saw them, and Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem where we are, but in also the, all the surrounding regions of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And right after this happened, Jesus is taken up before their eyes into heaven. And again, this happened before a crowd of witnesses to whom Luke was able to speak before he wrote these words down. And so the rest of the book of Acts is about the sharing and the spread of the good news of Jesus Christ and through these witnesses. And remember, for these witnesses, the news of Jesus' death and resurrection wasn't just a teaching passed down to them. They saw these events with their own eyes. They watched Jesus die on the cross. They spent time with him following his resurrection. They stood there on the Mount of Olives when Jesus ascended into heaven. And because of what they saw and because of the Holy Spirit that was in them, Acts chapter 2, they were prepared, they were empowered to go out to the surrounding cities and towns and to share the good news of Jesus with others. And that's why in Acts chapter two, we see Peter preaching the first gospel message and, and 3,000 people, Acts chapter two reports, uh, surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ and were baptized, like 3,000 people. And because of that, you could say the church was born, all right, the very first church. And there were no buildings and no programs and no campuses. There were no youth groups or Monday, you know, Wednesday, morning movie events, you know, for people to come to, none of that, but that didn't stop them. They were so on fire for Jesus that they went throughout Jerusalem and they shared their faith and they gathered in the temple courts and they told the stories of Jesus and what he had done for them. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, they helped people 
And it caused a lot of commotion, so much so that some of Jesus' adversaries started to take notice. And so by Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are jailed for speaking boldly about Jesus to a crowd of people near the temple. So they were arrested, and then the next day they appeared before the Sanhedrin and just think uh, court uh, of such, you know, like a religious a high court. You didn't mess with these guys. Like they were very important. They had a lot of people. They had a lot of power and influence. And so it was their job to keep the order in Jerusalem. But Peter and John come before them and somebody from the high court shouts, hey, why are you saying these things? And knock it off. Like knock it off, you know, or else. And so Peter responds like every preacher, I guess, would do. And he launches into this sermon, you know, and he tells the story of Jesus and his life and his death and resurrection. And he says that he says something that just kind of bugs the heck out of these guys, really crosses the line with them. And it's found in Acts chapter four, verse 12, when Peter said to them this, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, I was kind of narrow back then. I think we'd all agree that a statement like that is pretty narrow uh, by our world's terms today. would be very very narrow-minded because we know that words like these cause many to stand in opposition to Christianity. But this is what Peter knew. Like, this is what he believed. Like, he, he couldn't help but speak the truth. Like, he was a witness. He knew Jesus personally. He witnessed the work of Jesus with his own eyes. And, and do you know what? If you are a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a follower of Christ and and you've watched and experienced how Jesus has changed and redeemed your life, if you've seen firsthand how Jesus has changed your level of patience and uh, the way that you talk and the way that you act, how Jesus has influenced your priorities, if you've, if you've experienced how Jesus has changed your husband's life or, or your marriage or your kids' lives, like you know what Jesus is capable of and how he's changed you and changed the lives of people that you love and, and, and how he can do that for others. And so it goes without saying that while today there may be many people, while today we live in a culture that would ask the church to kind of tone down the message to be silent and to keep it to ourselves, the fact is we can't. And we won't. Like, we, we, won't, we won't be quiet. Like, I, I believe, you know, many of you at, at Genesis, we believe that salvation is found in no one else but Jesus Christ, like Jesus is the only way. And that's why Peter, that's what Peter believed. And, and he had the courage to speak his heart. And while the men of the Sanhedrin didn't believe his message, they couldn't change his mind. And, and because they didn't, you know, because they didn't want any trouble with, with the crowd of people that were listening to, to people like Peter and John, they, they kind of let him go. They warned him. They warned him to stop or else, and then they released him. Now, what happened next is fascinating, all right? Because if you're following along in your Bibles, uh, we're going to skip over a few verses here just for the sake of time, but this is where I want to spend the rest of our time this morning because the disciples, they, they go away from this tense environment, uh, and then they pray together, which isn't unusual at all, but I want you to see what they prayed. And Luke records it in Acts chapter 4, verse 29, when they prayed this. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. To which I look at and go, really? Like, I think you got boldness already figured out. You know, I mean, it seems like you're already pretty bold people. Like they're asking for boldness, but 
Isn't, what bold, isn't boldness what got Peter and John thrown in, in jail? I mean, again, they've been warned to tone it down. I, I think they've got a handle. I think they're a great example of boldness for us, but they want more. They're praying for more. They say, even as the pressure increases, like they, they realize that they've been witness to something you know, that has the power to change everything about everything. And so they're praying for more boldness. They want more opportunities to share the good news of Jesus, no matter the cost. Have you ever prayed for something like boldness? I can't say that I do that faithfully. I prayed for that regularly, but like boldness, like they're praying for. Now, I want to be clear. When I say boldness, I don't mean weirdness. All right, I think we need to distinguish between the two because there is a difference between being bold as a Christian and being weird as a Christian, all right? And I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm not talking about recklessness either. I mean, boldness doesn't mean go be insensitive. Boldness doesn't mean go be careless. Like we could, we could talk about a whole bunch of ways that so-called Christians and churches have done great harm to the message of Jesus Christ in the name of irresponsible boldness. But when I talk about boldness, I think the boldness we see here in Acts is a boldness as in courage. This is boldness as in eagerness. This is boldness as in surrender. This is boldness as in passion. It's boldness as in Jesus is coming back, and it could be today, and it could be tomorrow, and it could be next week. Like, think about it. Do you know why the message of Jesus Christ has reached us in in 2021? Well, First and foremost, it is by the power of the Holy Spirit above anything else, but it's also because of people like these first century Christians who prayed for boldness and were willing to go out and to live their lives and to keep sharing the good news of Jesus with others. And and quick history lesson, you know, God honored that prayer in them and the church grew and the book of Acts continues. And the fact is that by the fifth century AD, 500 years later, Christianity turned the world upside down. But then something happened over time. You could say that the church got buildings, the church got organized, and what started out as a movement over time became a hierarchy, and people with the wrong priorities took control, and people in the church started leveraging religion in order to gain power and control. And in a matter of a few hundred years, this very outward-focused, good news-sharing movement, again, that was created to spread the good news of Jesus Christ with the world, well, it became very inward-focused. And fast forward to today, and we've got some of the same kind of pressure that we face as well. Uh, there's the pressure to, to be quiet about Jesus. There's the, question, the, the pressure to kind of tone it down a little bit. Um, there's the, the pressure at the same time, I think, especially in light of some of the challenges that we've experienced even here in our own country Uh, in community in the last couple of years. But I think there's a pressure within the church to get inward focused, uh, to say if there's going to be all of this pressure outside, then we're just going to look out for each other on the inside. And so let's hunker down. Let's take care of ourselves. Let's build walls around our church. Let's build walls around our homes and and our families and say, you know what, just who cares about the rest of the world? We're just going to take care of ourselves until Jesus comes back. And I get it. I understand the pressure. I got kids, you know. I, I get it. I, I know it's hard. It's frustrating. But Genesis, we can't lose sight of the mission. You know, even in spite of the challenges today, we've got to stay laser focused on the mission because Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. 
You're going to be my witnesses to this world. You're going to share the, the news that, that Jesus overcame death. You're, you're going to share the stories about Jesus' ability to overcome fear and anxiety and regret and pain because salvation is found in no one else than Jesus Christ. And, and I know I don't need to tell you this, but there's an entire world out there right now. Uh, there, there are kids at your kid's school who don't know Christ. There are people that live on the street with you that, that don't know Christ. There are people in your home and they are far from God. I mean, God put people in your life for a reason. Like you and I are here in this world. Like we are here. This, this church is here on this roundabout for a reason. We are here to tell the rest of the world about the hope and the power and the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. How do you do that? We need a little bit of boldness. You know, it's going to take some boldness, but we get lazy. I lose focus. I get distracted. We get distracted. We get nervous. But then we read something like this, and we see how these men and women were giving their lives to share the good news of Jesus. And you can't help but ask, why not me? Like, why not us? How do we live like that too? And so as I've thought about how to kind of challenge you, challenge us this week, there were a couple of things I knew that I could do. One was I knew we could tell some sensational stories about people that are living in the far ends of the earth, doing some crazy things, risking their lives for the sake of Jesus. But those stories, while great stories, seem a little far away and maybe a little unrelatable to all of us from time to time. And so instead, I just prayed and asked the Lord to give me a few stories to share of normal people. Uh, people like you and me, you know, that are just kind of going about living life, doing life each and every day and how they're making a difference for Jesus one day at a time, one person at a time. Because when it comes to boldness, some of you are very bold. You're very courageous. We've got a lot we can learn from you. But for others of us, we're kind of babies in this still. You know, it's one thing for me to stand on this stage and be bold, but go walking outside these doors and kind of interact with the rest of the world. And it's easy to kind of blend in sometimes, isn't it? And so what does boldness look like for the rest of us? And uh, so I'm going to give you three quick things, tell you a couple of stories, give you a couple of examples. Uh, maybe you can write these down. And I just pray that the Lord might use these in your life in some way today. But as we think about boldness, what's boldness look like for us today? The first thing I would say is this, the boldness is saying something when it's easier to say nothing. Now, I want to be very clear what I mean about this, because some of you, let's be honest, are very, very bold when it comes to things like talking about politics and vaccines and, and masks or your love for Christmas or pumpkin spice lattes, like whatever it is. Like we've all got our things that we're bold about, all right? But I'm not talking about that. I mean the boldness to share your faith, to share the story of what Jesus has done for you with someone that needs to hear it. Like even if, even if you don't think they're open to it. Um, let me give you an example. When I, when I think about sharing your faith, when I think about sharing the, the gospel message, I don't know about you, but I can't help but think about this guy, Billy Graham, all right? And you probably uh, know Billy Graham and recognize this picture, the late Billy Graham, and, and what, what an incredible person of influence. He died in 2018. And people estimate that he shared the gospel with over 215 million people in 185 different territories and countries in his lifetime. Not bad, right? Uh, Graham was known as America's pastor. He got the Presidential uh, Medal of Freedom from Reagan, I believe. He received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1989. And for those of you that are old enough to remember, his crusades, his preaching used to be on national television. 
Isn't that crazy to think about today? Drove me nuts as a kid, all right? Because I'd go turn it on the TV to watch my favorite show, and Billy Graham would be on there preaching. It's like, I heard preaching on Sunday. I don't need to hear it again tonight. But, but we've all heard of Billy Graham. Some of you have maybe, maybe not heard of this guy. His name's Ed Stetzer. And Stetzer's a pastor, professor, writer. Uh, he is the executive director of the Billy Graham Center out of Wheaton College in, in the Chicago area. And I heard Stetzer tell this story a couple of years ago about Billy Graham's death and uh, also a woman by the name of Jane who was a driver for Uber. And uh, here's how the story goes. Stetzer and his wife, they're in Chicago. They got to get to O'Hare Airport. And so they, they call for an Uber. And, uh, and so this Uber shows up at their home. They jump in the car and they immediately encounter the hospitality of this, hospitality of this driver, uh, a woman by the name of Jane. And she had mints for them in the back seat. She had bottled water. There was a Bible there. And, uh, and Stetzer didn't say anything about who he was, about his faith, anything like that. He just kind of let Jane do her thing. And sure enough, over the course of their ride from the house to the airport, Jane started talking and just asking all of these questions and making conversation. And Stetzer quickly realized she's looking for opportunities to share her faith with me. And so he kind of let her keep doing her thing. Well, eventually his conscience got the best of him and he interrupted her and he said, Jane, my name is Ed. I'm a pastor and also the executive director of the Billy Graham Center. And I know what you're up to. And I just want you to know that you're doing an excellent job. And uh, Billy Graham passed away just a short time later. Stetzer was at the funeral with all of these famous people, past presidents, and a reporter came up to Ed Stetzer and asked this, Ed, who's going to be the next Billy Graham? Like, who's going to step in and fill Billy Graham's shoes? To which Ed replied, Jane, the Uber driver. It's wonderful to have pastors and churches and people like Billy Graham who can share their faith and with really large audiences. And there's nothing wrong with more Billy Grahams. We need a whole lot more Billy Grahams. But we also need a lot more Jane, the Uber drivers, too. People who will use every moment and every conversation and every opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ and their love with others. We're called to be witnesses. We have been given a responsibility to share our faith at school, at work, in our neighborhood, where, you know, you gather with people in the park at your kids' school, you know, events, family gatherings. And, and that doesn't mean that sharing your faith is always going to go as planned. I mean, we're not responsible for the results, but we are called to be faithful, to be bold, to say something when it's easier to say nothing. And so bold means being ready to share the hope that we have. Here's something else. The second thing is that boldness is praying with someone instead of saying you'll pray for them. I believe that prayer changes things, uh, that it does. I believe prayer is inviting the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. And I heard somebody say one time recently that there are so many people around you today who have never had a prayer prayed for them. Like you're going to walk out of the doors here in a little while and you're going, to, you're going to encounter people who have never had, never had anybody pray a prayer for them. And prayer works. And how many times have we ended up in conversations with someone, you know, somebody sharing their heart with us, telling us about some of the difficult things that are going on in their lives and, and to say, you know what, part of being bold is that I can pray. 
I, I can pray for that person, you know? And the more we pray for someone, well, maybe that's going to open up a door that you'll actually be able to pray with people. Like, you might be surprised. We might be surprised. We've got people in our lives. You've got people in your life right now, and they're not ready to walk into a church service, but you can pray for them. And Lord willing, maybe even pray with them. Uh, we're a cross-country family uh, in our house. I've got three kids, one middle school daughter, two high school boys. They're all runners. This is cross-country season, all right? We are doing a lot of cross-country events, standing in a lot of heat, sometimes the rain, sometimes in the cold weather, not as much yet, at least yet, but we spend a lot of time in cross-country, and my middle school daughter, Kate, runs with an incredible group of young girls, young women for Noblesville East Middle School. And uh, again, there's a small group of them amongst this larger portion of the team. And these girls, they are kind, uh, they are sweet, they are leaders, they love Jesus, and they love to run fast. Like they, they will love you the way Jesus will love you, and then they're going to stomp you to the ground when it gets out onto the race course. And they've had a great year. I mean, they, they won county, they finished third in the state last weekend, and I'm really excited for my daughter and for her teammates and for their accomplishments, but I'm even prouder of things like this. And they do this before every race, and they're very gentle about it, and they invite their teammates to join them, and they don't pressure them, and they don't shame any of them that don't want to participate, but they get together and they pray. And they pray before a race and they gather near the start and they're, they're being bold. They're being bold in their prayers. They're, they're being bold uh, and loving with their words. They're sharing the good news of Jesus with their actions and with their teammates and those that are standing around them to see this. When, when you pray with someone, when we pray with someone, like you, you get the opportunity to stand between that person and God. You get to invite the Holy Spirit to do for them what you're incapable of doing. And so be ready to pray for people. All right, pray for people in your life, the people that God is putting in your life. Pray with the people in your life. Pray for opportunities, you know, that the Lord might give you to share your faith in your story with them. Like, what if the next time somebody is pouring out their heart to you, what would happen if you prayed for them? If you asked, hey, can I pray for you right now? And to actually pray for your coworker or even your boss, to pray with a student at school. Uh, to pray with a person in, in the line at the grocery store or at the game or even in your backyard might seem terrifying. It is a little terrifying at times. I've been there, but you might be surprised. You have no idea what your boldness, what your humility or what your prayers might do for them. Here's the third one, the last one. Not a complete list by any means. Boldness is taking advantage of opportunities as they present themselves. Like what would it look like to intentionally place yourself in situations where you know there are going to be people who are far from God and they're going to be present there and then pray to God and ask God to send you opportunities your way. I think boldness, a big part of boldness is just making yourself available. Every day saying, God, I'm available to you however you want to use me. You can use me in the front yard. You can use me in the backyard. But Lord, get me around people who are far from you. I, I want opportunities to serve you, to serve you at work and with neighbors and through my church and, and, and at school and in the community. It, it's a big reason, uh, a big part of the reason why Jenny and I chose to send our kids to public schools. 
And I'm not saying that because I believe that's the right thing. That's just what we believe the Lord has called us to do. I grew up in a private school, and I, I know that private schools are really good and really helpful in homeschooling too. But for us, we've made this decision year after year to remain in the public schools. And, and, and we, we see this as an opportunity for us to get outside of just being with Christians all the time and being able to interact with the community. And so it's provided a great place for, for Jenny and I to serve, Jenny especially. Uh, she has spent hours upon hours upon hours over all of the years that our kids have been in school, volunteering in their classrooms, working alongside of the teachers, getting to know the staff. Like this enabled her uh, to build relationships with kids and their family. She's prayed with teachers. She's prayed with staff. She could, she could stand on the stage and tell you so many stories of how God has opened the door for her to be light with, uh, with other people. And, and my kids are in high school and middle school now. And, and Jenny now has a, a position. She's a school nurse with Noblesville East Middle School. And that's opened the door even wider to just continue investing and building these relationships and caring for kids and students and staff. And while I haven't put in as many hours as Jenny, I got to find my places to serve too. All right, I want to be involved with our local schools. And so from volunteering in classes to going on field trips to helping with the cross-country teams. And so I spent a lot of hours serving alongside of our coaches and serving the cross-country teams. I was there early yesterday morning at 7.30 uh, helping to set up the course. And I was one of the last people there at 1 o'clock in the afternoon tearing the course down. I also mow the cross-country course. I've taken on this role this past year. I spend about four or five hours every week helping to mow the cross-country course. My wife thinks that I do it because I can put on headphones and nobody can bug me, all right, because I'm on a big, fast, powerful mower for three or four hours, but I do it because I love it. I, I love volunteering. I love serving our team and our schools this way, and I was out mowing the other day, and we were getting ready for the middle school county meet, and it was just me and one of the athletic directors out there, and he came up and he was talking to me, and then he said this. He goes, you're a preacher, right? Which is one of my favorite titles, uh, <laughs> preacher. Uh, but he says, you're a preacher, right? And I said, yeah, I am. And he goes, would you pray for the meet tonight? He said, um, I just want every kid, every runner to have a great event, great opportunity, and for no one to get hurt. And so we stood there, we bowed our heads together on the school cross-country course and asked the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. And a little later on, I was still mowing, and I just had a moment, I had a very personal moment with, the, with, with God, and I felt like God said to me, this is what I can do with 13 years of one community spending time, giving time, investing time in people, ministering together. I am not your example of boldness, all right? That's not what I'm trying to accomplish here. But I just, I felt like I needed to share with you personally what I'm doing and how I'm seeing, you know, the Lord use these events and these opportunities to have a chance to get to know people. Don't underestimate how God wants to use your generosity. Uh, don't underestimate how God might use a meal that you share with a neighbor, how you're serving, your compassion and kindness towards somebody else, a conversation, being a listener, sharing your faith with others, how God might use that. Because when we serve, and I think it's important that we remember this, when we serve in the name of Jesus, we are just simply showing up at places Jesus is already there. We're just joining him and coming alongside of him where he's already at work. And so boldness means readiness. It's, it, means, it means saying, I'm available. I'm available to you, Jesus. I think we need to pray for more boldness, pray for more opportunities, 
to step outside of our comfort zones and to serve and to be available for conversations that may come up where we can share the faith that we have. And look at it this way. Like if you're here and if you're a Christian, like aren't you glad that someone said something to you? Aren't you glad someone shared their faith with you? Aren't you glad somebody invited you to this church or another church where you gave your life to the Lord? Like somebody did that. I mean, there was a level of boldness in it. And if you're struggling to find boldness today, like just remember the last words of Jesus. We looked at them just a moment ago in Acts 1.8. In fact, I'm gonna do this now. Why don't you just bow your heads with me? And I, I wanna pray for you today, but I wanna ask you to do this first. I want you to imagine you're on that mountain with Jesus, face to face. And you realize this is the last thing he's ever gonna say to you as he spends time here on this earth. And he looks you in the eye and says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth or maybe in a much more personal way. You received power when Jesus Christ came into your life and redeemed you. Now go, keep going as you go. Be my witness in Carmel, in Zionsville, in Indy, in Westfield, in Fishers, in Noblesville, in Kokomo, around the state and all that you do, and even when you're far from here. Keep serving Jesus. Father, we pray for boldness. We pray that you would empower and equip us to go and to be the hands and feet and even words of Jesus to the people that we come into contact with each and every day. Lord, we know that you're the only one that can change lives, but would you change ours? And would you change lives in us and through, or through us? And we just wanna be faithful to you. We wanna see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. And so in everything that we do, help us to share and to show the love of Jesus. We thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us and sing as we close together?